0: Hello there, welcome to the Saroy channel wherever you are in the world and I really do hope that you're doing exceedingly well. Lots and lots of love to everybody and I do hope that you are going to settle down and get that lovely hot cup of cocoa or coffee or tea, whatever it is that you drink because you're going to need it for the story tonight and let's get started with tonight's story. Dear Sarah and all your lovely listeners, my name is Jimmy, but people tend to call me Jim for short, and I'm from Zionsville, which is often referred to as a town within the park. It's located northwest of Indianapolis. It's a really special, intriguing part of the world, still retaining the quintessential quiet tranquility and charming quaintness of a small town. Yet at the very same time, it is situated conveniently close to a large, bustling, vibrant metropolis of thriving shops, restaurants and businesses alike. We have over 17 parks and 400 acres of parkland here so for the outdoor enthusiast an ardent adventurers like myself, Zionsville most certainly ticks all the boxes. I live here in a green leafy older neighbourhood where so many of the eclectic houses are completely unique and our house is no exception to that rule. In more recent years there's been a great deal of development with new sizable neighbourhoods being created born out of new money where the houses look uncannily the same and lack that charm, character, personality, individuality, and mysterious intrigue of the older sector homes. My family initially moved to Zionsville from Chicago when I was about eight years old, so I have no real memory of my early life there. But my dad was transferred here by his company that was branching out in Indianapolis, and my father fancied a change of scene, and the family has never regretted the move, even for a moment, because we love it here. I grew up with my older sister Rachel and my younger brother Oliver and I can honestly say that we had a great childhood as even today Zionsville has got to be one of the safest places to live and has some of the most amazing schools in the area. As a result my parents never bothered about us as kids riding our bicycles in the neighbourhood here and playing with the other children. We lived in a very simple charming looking fifties home that had undergone numerous alterations over the years where modern influences had been added to the house without destroying that quintessential old world charm. Growing up in Zionsville, I had two best friends that lived in our street, a few doors down from my own home. One was a boy called Ivan, and the other was Ted. As kids, given we were similar in age, the three of us became like brothers. I hung around with them more than my own siblings, as we attended the same schools together, were in the same year, and lived on the same street. We even called our friendship the Three Musketeers, and we would have sleepovers at each other's houses regularly. It would seem that Ted lived in a very old Victorian home, and although I never admitted it to him, I never liked staying over at his house, because it had a strange, sinister, airy feeling about it, which I sensed as a young boy. It would always feel as if the house was almost staring at you with sinister-looking eyes, and it would give me the creeps. I did, of course, confide in Ivan how I felt about Ted's house, and it would seem I wasn't alone in my misgivings about it. ''There's something super weird about that house,'' Ivan admitted to me. ''It always feels as if someone is watching you, someone really menacing and horrible.'' One night when I was staying at the Victorian house for a sleepover, we were all sleeping on the living room floor in our sleeping bags by the fireplace, as earlier in the evening we'd been watching television together and had ordered pizzas. I had awoken to find Ivan's shoe being thrown at my sleeping bag. I woke up with a start, looking around the room cautiously, Someone had thrown the shoe at me, but it wasn't Ivan, nor was it Ted, as they were both fast asleep. So who on earth was it? I began to shiver violently because this freezing air just entered the room. I can't describe it to you. It was weird. It felt as if I was sitting in a refrigerator. I've never known cold air to sweep into a room before like that. I began to shiver with the cold, which was odd because it wasn't cold in the house, nor outside. I glanced around the room again, and another one of Ivan's shoes went flying up into the air on its own accord, hitting me on the side of the head. I was nonplussed, as it would seem that the shoe had been thrown at me with deliberate malevolent intent, but there was no one there. I immediately shook Ivan awake. Wake up! Wake up! I told him. I then told him everything that had happened. Suddenly we both saw the silhouette of a dark woman standing there. And she looked so real, and for a moment we were able to see her quite clearly, as the outside light seemed to cast its shadows upon her ghostly form. I believe she fully intended for us to see us. I think she wanted to terrify the life out of us. For a second I could hardly believe what we were seeing. The woman was short, rounded around the middle, with crepey white skin and grey curly hair. She was wearing dark clothes and a black veil over her head. But the hostile, malevolent way she was glaring at us sent chills down my spine. We both screamed so loudly that Ted's mother came racing down the stairs and asking us what on earth was the matter. We both told her that we'd seen a ghost and she assured us adamantly that we must have both just had a very bad dream. But there were two of us that had had this dream if that were the case. Ivan began scribbling away at his drawing pad and he was a remarkable artist. He recreated a perfect picture of the woman that we had just witnessed. That's what we saw, he said to Ted's mother, presenting her with a picture of the old lady. When Ted's mother saw the picture, her face went deathly white and the colour drained from her face. Her eyes grew as wide as saucers and she began to shake. Are you sure about this, she asked, and we both nodded. That was my grandmother, said Ted's mother, looking bewildered. This was her home once, but she was a vindictive, spiteful, nasty, cantankerous woman who used to beat my grandfather black and blue with the back of her frying pan. Of course, in those days, men could hardly admit to being beaten up by their own wives. It would have been nonsensical to most. My grandfather really tired of her relentless abuse. It never stopped for a day in and day out. It was continuous. If she didn't like you, believe me, you knew about it because she would throw things at you to drive you away. so my poor mother never brought friends back to the house for that very reason. When she died, my grandfather was actually heartily relieved. He couldn't abide the acrimonious woman. The thought of that implacable witch in my house just gives me the chills. When she was dying, she told my grandfather that she'd come back to haunt him. Now, based on what you're telling me, that may well have happened. Poor Grandpa. He got rid of her in life, and she possibly came after him in death. Oh, it just horrifies me to just think about it. Needless to say, Ivan and I told Ted very clearly that we would never sleep over at his place again because of that ghastly ghost that we had seen who clearly didn't want us there. We were assured by his mother that she had smudged the place with sage to drive the evil away, but we were not convinced that that lingering spirit of that horrifying woman would ever leave that home, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if she's still there throwing shoes at anyone she's aggrieved with to this very day. The story I'm about to share with you happened to the three of us when we were about 22 years old and had all become keen hunters. I would not go so far as to say that we were good by any manner of means, but I will say that we were developing, sharpening and refining our skills, but learning to hunt with savvy adroitness and artful proficiency is a progressive, systematic process that takes time. And so as beginners we all had a great deal to learn, but we were enthusiastic and passionate, which was a very good start. However, in terms of personality, we were all exceedingly different. Ted, I believe, was the worst hunter out of the three of us, as he was so hot-headed, impatient and impulsive. Sometimes on a hunt, he'd failed to engage his brain before he took a shot, which often meant that the deer was startled and ran off alerting the rest of the herd to our presence, which meant that the hunt was pretty much over for all of us. Ivan, on the other hand, is a very meticulous and fastidious kind of person, sometimes painfully so and there are times he's been so intent on getting that perfect shot that in his ardent pursuit of perfection he sometimes missed the mark. He's just so particular, and by the time he wants to aim at the deer, it's invariably scuttled away. Then there's me, of course, and I'm by no means a perfectionist like Ivan, nor am I impulsive like Ted, but I am patient and I do tend to think before I act, which does have huge advantages for any aspiring hunter. It would seem that the three of us had found the perfect place to seasonally hunt whitetail which was at a private hunting lodge that was in a very attractive part of the world close to Harrison Crawford State Forest and we all possessed 222 Remingtons and had ensured that we had bathed with scentless soaps and followed all the stringent protocols in ensuring that our hunting clothes smelt like the natural terrain rather than our own body odour. We even placed our camouflage regalia in ziplog bags with some earthen leaves from the environment and had left them in that state for a few days to so much as marinade. I suppose. We arrived at the hunting lodge in the early hours of the morning before the sun had risen over the horizon. I do remember it was a crisp cold day with blasts of cold air punelling against our faces and the wind in the trees blowing the rustling leaves off the ground, creating a lovely whistling sound. We walked over the crunchy golden leaves in the wooded area trying to keep a low profile and ensuring that we were doing our level best not to be detected as the last thing we wanted was our cover blown. Five days prior we had scouted the property in search for deer scat and ascertained the best locations to find a good white-tailed buck with a sizable looking rack. We set up our deer blind in between some trees only yards away from a large pond. We did this so that the animals would become accustomed to it if indeed they noticed it at all we had also laid down a generous large trail of grapes and apples for five consecutive days which appeared to be working a treat as the sweet smell of the fruit had surreptitiously drawn the deer to our prime location it even spread fruit around rather randomly over here and there to a greater area that led towards our stand we did not want the deers to see through our crafty rue i personally believe that you can never underestimate the intelligence of these creatures Mm -hmm. And I think they're far more savvy than we give them credit for and we call that the art of survival that is intrinsically built within every living animal. As my father always told me, pretend to be a deer for a moment. What's going to make you suspicious to your environment and alert you to the fact that you are being hunted? In my opinion the slightest thing out of place or an unfamiliar smell is definitely going to get your heckles up and rightly so. I was feeling excited on this lovely morning as indeed we all were. I could even envisage in my mind's eye that we would certainly be taking down a white tail this morning, as the signs were all looking positive and very promising. Sometimes we've used some of the tools of the trade, such as female scents, to lure a large male to our stand, but on this occasion we were having none of that. On a previous time the scent had failed to work at all for us, and it actually backfired on us. It was almost as if the male deer we were stalking had seen through our cunning plot, and had not bitten the bait. Or maybe the smell hadn't been that convincing. One way or the other, it hadn't worked. Before long, we were all seated behind our blinds, keeping very, very still. And even if I say so myself, we were inconspicuous and well camouflaged. All of a sudden, we were alerted to someone whistling, and I could see that Ted had grown crimson. He looked heartily annoyed. No one is supposed to be here this morning, he said, looking aggrieved we were assured by the lodge that we had the place to ourselves this morning now this dude whoever he is is going to ruin the hunt for us i should give him a piece of my mind he shouldn't be here i agreed i don't understand what's going on the whistling continued and ted was growing increasingly angry By this time the sun was rising over the escarpment and the sky was bathed in the glorious haze of golden-yellow hues, with its pretty shafts of sunlight casting gentle spotlights on the tree limbs and the golden leaves that carpeted the ground in thick layers. It would seem almost as if a dimmer switch was being gently turned up ever so slowly, and gently as the dusky night faded away, much like the raindrops on a windscreen being wiped off the glass, it was that quick. In a trice, the soft blue infirmament came into focus, and a new morning, with a cool breeze, was actually birthed. The whistling continued, getting louder and louder, and we could hear heavy feet crunching the leaves, and whoever was walking towards us was without doubt a man of sizeable girth, but we had no shortage of big men in Indianapolis, so I was not that perturbed about that. On the contrary, I was so peeved off at the sheer audacity of this individual, whoever they were, "'They were likely to have alerted the deers to our human presence. "'After all our exemplary bodacious efforts to remain invisible, "'this individual could potentially have spoiled absolutely everything for us "'and unequivocally ruined our morning hunt, which was a monumental setback. "'Selfish sod,' snapped Ted. "'Oh, there he is. "'We could see the hazy blur and outline of the brawly humanoid "'moving in the shadows against the light towards our deer stand. "'I could tell that he was a very stocky, tall, well-built man.' ''I'm going after him now,'' said Ted. ''No, Ted,'' said Ivan, ''let me speak to the man. You might get his back up. I'll speak to him very nicely. You always wind people up the wrong way and bring on a fight and that's the last thing we need.'' ''I suppose you're right,'' admitted Ted. ''It's hard for me to contain my anger at times.'' ''Excuse me,'' I could hear Ivan calling. ''Excuse me, excuse me, what are you doing here? This is private land.'' Good, I thought to myself happily. Ivan will sort that man out. I focused my binoculars on the scene unfolding before my eyes, and I nearly had a heart attack. Ivan was now standing yards away from the whistling man, but this was no man. What on earth was it? Then reality hit me as hard as a dagger in the back. Oh my God, I thought. It's a Bigfoot. No, that's not possible. No, it can't be right. I could not believe what I was actually seeing, I discerned through my binoculars that Ivan was shaking in terror. I could see his whole body wobbling violently like a blamage jelly. I'd never seen him so afraid before. He was absolutely terrified. Why was he just standing there and not running away? It looked like he was frozen to the spot like an ice statue. I'd actually heard of fear like that before, and I was observing it for myself firsthand. "'It's a Bigfoot,' I said to Ted. "'It's a Bigfoot!' Ted was looking through binoculars, and I could see him say, "'Oh, my God! It's huge! It's absolutely colossal! "'I've never seen anything like it before! Oh, my God!' He was right, of course. The creature was Hugh in size. I could discern it was at least eight foot tall, seven hundred pounds and three foot wide, and it was covered in long, flowing, dark hair, and was quite terrifying to observe.' I realised at once that the critter actually had breasts because they moved when she walked. Suddenly Ted began firing some arbitrary shots, although I do not believe he intended them to be so random, chaotic or capricious, as he was trying to aim his rifle at the critter and failing abysmally in his efforts. He was shaking so violently with anxiety that he failed to keep his rifle straight and made things a thousand times worse. It was clearly apparent he was intending to kill the Bigfoot... As usual, he'd not engaged his brain for a moment, as the critter's strength was equivalent to at least six men, and we were outnumbered. There was only three of us. There was no prizes for guessing who would win this battle. What the hell are you doing, Ted? I screamed. You're a bluthering idiot. Stop now, or we're both dead. You're making things a thousand times worse. The bull-headed Ted recklessly failed to listen to my sound advice and continued to fire his stray shots, missing his target every time the critter was so agile and dexterous that it was faster than the bullets and effortlessly seemed to dodge them all ted's precarious shooting was not causing the bigfoot to flee on the contrary it was running directly towards us like a thundering herd of bison and charging us like a rhino that was intending to kill i could tell by ted's mortified expression that he realised how powerless and helpless he had become and i'm certain his life was flashing before him in those final moments I can only imagine the terror that he must have been feeling because the Bigfoot wasn't packing any punches and was singling him out like a bull at a bullfight, gunning for the red flag, and I was pretty certain that Ted was already dead. I promise you, Ted was so terrified that his rifle slid out of his hands and fell to the ground. Before I knew it, this critter grabbed Ted in his overlong arms and hurled him in the air, throwing him towards the pond, where I could hear his body crashing into the water with a mighty splash." She then grabbed his rifle from him and threw it into the pond. The Bigfoot turned and looked at me directly. Her eyes studied me curiously. I immediately put my gun on the ground and she visibly relaxed. But she also picked up my rifle and threw it also into the water to ensure that I wasn't going to use it on her. This critter was without doubt the scariest thing that I've ever observed in my entire life. But shooting at her had been a very grave mistake indeed. She was powerful, lofty and majestic, and with one blow from her hand, you could be lifting up the daisies without a doubt. The Bigfoot looked at me very directly, and then she chattered in a strange tongue, as if she was speaking to me. I rarely sensed she was saying, ''Why all this violence? Can we not live together in peace? We're more alike than you actually know. I know it sounds really out-of-worldly and bizarre, but those words were audibly articulated in my head, almost as if they were verbal.'' I observed that this hairy humanoid had deep treacle brown eyes, which regarded me intently, almost as if she was reading my mind. I sensed that she was not aggressive, but peace-loving by nature. A creature who loathed and despised altercations and discord of any kind. She found them to be of life's petty nuisances. Perhaps she'd experienced enough dysfunctional behaviour among her own kind before, and just couldn't abide it. I detected a kindness in her that was hard to explain. My encounter with her could have been so different if Ted had not been so dreadfully impulsive and overreactive in the way that he had been. I'm so sorry, I said, pointing towards the pond, and then to my head as I tried to communicate that Ted was not of sound mind when he shot at her. I sensed that she understood what I was saying and accepted my apology, as strange and erroneous and outer-worldly as that sounds, but I promise you, you'd have had to have been there to see it. I watched her awestruck and mesmerised as she began to glide away so seamlessly. Impulsively I ran after her with a plastic bag full of snacks in my hand. "'Excuse me,' I called. The critter turned around to look at me. Her eyes glanced at the plastic bag that I was holding, which I handed to her. I watched her rifling through the goodies. There was peanuts, cookies, chips, fruit, chocolate and a bacon quiche in the bag, and I could sense that she seemed rather pleased.' It was my way of apologising for our abysmal, appalling behaviour. After she had disappeared from our sight, I went over to Ivan, who was just standing there in a pool of sweat, shaking violently. "'Has he gone? It was the most dreadful creature I've ever seen. I thought I was already dead.' "'Well, she walked past you, didn't she?' I said. "'If she'd wanted to kill you, then you'd have been a gone already.' "'Why did Ted have to shoot at her like that?' he said, shaking— It was the most stupid thing he could have done. That critter is much stronger than the three of us together. And as for using a rifle on her, she kept moving her body out of the way, faster than lightning. Suddenly I saw the bedraggled, pathetic form of Ted walking towards us. He looked incredibly sorry for himself. His body was sopping wet, and his drenched clothes clung to his body tightly. ''Did you see what that hairy monster did to me?'' he snapped. ''I could have been killed back there!'' It was difficult to take her down. It was like she dodged every one of my bullets. I mean, how can anything move that fast? You got off lightly, I told him. If it had been a male Bigfoot, I don't think you'd be talking to me right now. You're lucky she threw you in the pond like that, and not against a tree or something. I told you and I warned you not to fire, but would you listen? No, no, you wouldn't. I do believe she had no intention of harming us. But you were like a bull in a china shop and you went for her. Oh, I'm so mad at you. Needless to say, both Ivan and Ted had a very different impression of the Bigfoot than I did. They based all their perceptions on her very intimidating, powerful appearance, which, granted, is incredibly scary. To this day, Ted thinks Bigfoot should be wiped off the face of the earth based on his personal experience with being thrown into that pond. While Ivan breaks out in a cold sweat, whenever he recalls his encounter with the Bigfoot, and believes it was the most terrifying thing that he'd ever encountered. But when I reflect on the Bigfoot encounter, my impression is completely different, like night and day from my friends. I recall her kind, intelligent eyes, and when I remember them, only warm thoughts spring into my mind, because I believe the female Bigfoot I encountered was misunderstood by my friends, based on their alarmed reactions to her appearance, which I quite understand But in my experience, the critter I encountered really did have a heart of gold and I shan't forget her in a hurry. After our encounter that day, we all did go home and it would seem that hunting for deer lost its appeal to Ivan and Ted. And so as far as I know, two of our rifles are still lying at the bottom of that pond. So there you are. That's my story. Thank you so much for that incredible story. Until next time, goodbye and good night.